with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello everyone, welcome. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael B. as your host. And today we're going to be speaking of issues regarding why Candida treatments fail. So this is actually the subject of a few articles I've written, which are actually very interesting because these articles themselves can serve as sort of a check sheet or a, a list of why you can you can fail in treating candida. Candida is a very particularly tricky microorganism to deal with. It's not a, a typical germ or bacteria or virus. So it has its own unique abilities to stay alive and to adapt to different situations. Uh, we had a newsletter come out a few days ago announcing this particular podcast where we discussed some of the reasons why treatments fail. And that newsletter could actually be used as a checklist to go through. Uh, it's not totally complete, I don't believe. There could be a couple items that aren't on there that might be covered in other articles. But the first reason that candida treatments fail, ultimately has to do with the failure of the practitioner to rotate the antifungals. And very simply, what happens in that case is when you fail to rotate antifungals, what happens is the candida is going to develop a drug resistance against the antifungals, whether they're medicines or herbs or virtually any other substance that you try using. And what will happen is when it develops this drug resistance, the medicine no longer has a, the same effect on the candida. The most typical thing we hear in my office from people is they'll come in and they'll say they've been seeing this practitioner and they were doing uh, you know, reasonably well on the, on the treatment. Things are going along okay. And then the next thing they know, the medicines that they were taking just were not as effective anymore and their symptoms started to come back. Despite the fact that they might have even raise the dosage of the medicine they were taking, still they ended up with the problem of having a relapse. So I'm going to cite that as probably the number one reason why candida treatments fail. It's due to the lack of rotating the medicines. Uh, when you're rotating medicines for candida, we recommend that people rotate the medicine for stay on the medicine let's say before you rotate off of it and move to another one for at least four days four days is a pretty good uh, length of time to be on the medicine 
for it to have a, a, a good effect on the microorganism. But that's not anywhere near the 21-day mark where the candida then starts to develop a resistance. So that we're going to cite as the first reason why candida treatments fail. It's the, again, failure to rotate the antifungal medicines. Next reason, and I'm, gonna, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but somewhat in order of importance that I have found in clinical practice. Next reason I would say is the use of vitamin mineral supplements in conjunction with the candida treatment. And we have a list that's posted on our website of the, of the nutrients, which are the most interfering. You'll find that they're probably, uh, it's somewhere in the candida section. I don't recall exactly where. But we have two sets of nutrients which will do two different things. One group of nutrients, particularly the antioxidant group, will act as antidotes to the candida medicines. Uh, we covered this a little bit um, uh, Tuesday in the podcast. Essentially what happens is most medicines or herbs that attempt to kill candida do so by creating oxidative stress on the membrane of the candida cell. Oxidative stress is essentially hitting the candida with tons of free radicals which damage the outside membrane. Now an antioxidant vitamin protects cells against free radicals so therefore it would do the same thing to the candida cell as it would to your cell. It's going to protect those cells from the candida being damaged by the medicine you're taking, which is exactly what you want. So if you want to help your candida out and be kind to it and help it survive the onslaught of whatever the treatment you're going to do, take antioxidants and that will protect it. Of course, that's not what we want to do. We want the candida to fall prey to the medicines, which is why we don't want to take antioxidants. Another group of nutrients have a different effect on candida, again, not desired effect. And, and this effect is to feed the candida and physically strengthen it. Uh, the primary nutrients that you'll find that do this are the bee complex, not individual bees, which I'm asked very frequently by people if it's okay for them to continue to take their B12 or some such thing because the doctor prescribed it. It is not individual B12, uh, individual B vitamins which have this effect. It's the entire B complex. The entire B complex, when taken in conjunction with carbohydrate or sugar foods, break down those carbs and sugars into forms that are much easier assimilated by the candida and allow it to feast on these foods. Vitamin D, another one we brought up the other day, vitamin D helps to strengthen the membrane of the fungal cells, so much so that there are prescription medicines that work to kill candida, specifically by blocking the candida's ability to uptake vitamin D. Iron is another. Uh, and there is, a, again, there are prescription medicines for candida which work by blocking candida's ability to absorb iron. Copper is another nutrient which strengthens the membrane of the candida cells, as does calcium. CoQ10, probably the most surprising nutrient of all, which helps to uh, helps candida subsist and strengthens it. Any of these vitamins taken while you're treating the candida is going to 
decrease the effectiveness of your treatment. So this would be the next reason why candida treatments fail is because the person is taking handfuls of nutritional supplements and not only are they trying to feed and protect their own cells, but they're inadvertently doing it to the candida. Next reason why we would say that the candida treatments will typically fail is usually because they're looked at from a very one-tracted view. Uh, to understand this better and to expand on this, we look at the word dysbiosis. Dysbiosis means that the person has an imbalance between all the friendly microbes in the intestinal tract and all the harmful ones, the sum total of all the harmful ones. So when one has candida, one immediately develops dysbiosis. This means that they have friendly bacteria and friendly organisms there living simultaneously with harmful ones. Generally speaking, the person who has candida to some degree always has some type of harmful parasite, either a protozoa or a parasite that's more visible with the naked eye, which we always typically traditionally call intestinal worms, or harmful bacteria living in their intestines. Very often, we've encountered people who went on candida treatments and they were successful to a degree. The problem being that once the parasites in their system would flare up or become excited for whatever reason, it could be full moon, which where parasites are known to be more active, uh, could be something in their diet, could be exposure to solvents and benzoates, which denature the eggs and the larva of the parasite, which makes them hatch and then prematurely come onto the scene. We'll say generally anything that allows parasites to become more active will then disrupt the intestinal flora, disrupt the intestinal tract, the digestion, and allow candida to once again flourish. So where I'm going with all this is simply this, is if a person is treated as though he only has candida, which is typically what a medical doctor will do. The treatment eventually will fail because you're not taking into consideration the other bad flora that the person has. And what I mean by the other bad flora, we're talking about harmful bacteria and parasites that the person is harboring along with their candida. So when you have a, a candida treatment must take into consideration these other groups of organisms, harmful bacteria, harmful parasites, which are living in the intestinal tract in conjunction with the candida. And essentially, if you don't kill them all, some of them are going to come back. And in the case of candida, it's very typical that if you don't address the parasites or the bacteria that accompany the candida, it will only be a matter of time before those microbes that were not targeted by your treatment become excited enough and active enough to allow the candida again to return. Next reason why candida treatments fail is because the, the practitioner will try to use exclusively probiotics in treating the candida, or they will give the probiotics at the wrong time. Now, this is a very important point, which I believe we did cover in the previous two podcasts to a degree, but there is a, a simple fact that I've learned over the years of research and practicing 
probiotics are not able to stick to the gut lining in the presence of candida. So what this means essentially is that as long as you have the candida, the probiotics you're trying to take to cure yourself of the condition can't work. The idea behind taking probiotics when you have candida is that probiotics help the body to resist the growth of candida. If you have good, strong, friendly flora in your intestinal tract, it makes it much more difficult for the candida to grow. However, when a condition arises which compromises the friendly bacteria and harms it, and therefore its population drops, this is when the naturally occurring candida, which is there in a small population, will go into overgrowth. Once the candida becomes dominant and goes in overgrowth and begins, in a sense, to physically outnumber the friendly bacteria, the friendly bacteria can now not reoccupy that space which the candida has taken over. In the physical universe, two particles or two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. And this was never more true than when discussing candida. So once you develop candida, taking probiotics is not going to help you. It might make you feel better at times. You may have some symptomatic improvement from the probiotics because they do help to readjust your intestinal pH. But that is temporary. As long as the candida is there, the candida will be there. The correct time to use probiotics is after you've been on a regime of antifungals long enough to have reduced the colonies of candida down to a level that now the probiotics can reoccupy that territory. Um, within that subject of probiotics, a mistake people make very often is they use probiotics which are not human strain or also called sticky strain. The companies that I know for a fact makes exclusively probiotics which are sticky strain or human strain is metagenics. All the metagenics probiotics fit this particular uh, bill. They're all sticky strain or human strain. So we're guaranteed that when you take a probiotic from Metagenics, it's going to stick to the lining of your intestinal tract. You can often be fooled when you're looking for probiotics by the count of bacteria which they offer. They'll say they have 400 billion organisms or some such thing. And that's nice to see, but the real crux of the matter is it sticky strain or human strain. I would rather have a product where the potency is far lower and not so boastful of how many billions of uh, individual bacteria are there, as opposed to having a product which is human strain or sticky strain, because the human or the sticky strain is what's really going to work. It doesn't make any difference how many billions of organisms are there if they're just going to go in one end and then out the other. That's of no use to you. So whenever you're choosing a probiotic, you want to make sure that the product you're, you're getting and the company that you're getting it from makes or uses the sticky or human strain probiotic. Next reason why candida treatments will tend to fail is a lack of correct testing. Now, when a person is on a candida program, you need to have some type of testing in order to determine the effectiveness of the program. 
If you don't, then you're essentially flying blind. We talked a bit about testing the other day, and that's actually going to be the subject of an entire podcast upcoming. But the lack of correct testing, some type of a test, which can act as a guide, leads to an interesting phenomena. And that phenomena is stopping the treatment too soon. Both of these could be thought of as the same, although there are some attributes that each have. First, when you don't have proper testing, it's possible that you will get a false negative. In other words, you're going to test the person for candida. The test is going to come up negative. The person's going to say, and the doctor says, oh, well, I don't have candida. They go on their merry way and they suffer with the candida for the next 40 years. A proper test identifies you do have candida. This way you know that now you should treat it. In the absence of any kind of testing, the person may stop the treatment too soon because he's going by his symptoms. He's on the candida program. He sees that his symptoms are improved or better. Therefore, he concludes that he's complete with the candida treatment. At that point, he may, if he's, if he's wise or has read my articles, listened to any of the podcasts here, he may then start taking probiotics. Well, if he's taking the probiotics too soon, it won't work. So when you have a proper test and it can identify the fact that your candida is improved or at the correct level, it's then the signal for you to then move to a probiotic treatment or do something else instead of continually treating the candida. When you have proper testing, however, and which is, this is usually going to be a combination of tests, you can also measure the level of different microorganisms that you have and identify other microorganisms to be targeted in the candida treatment. So when you do testing for candida, if the testing shows you also have parasites or some type of harmful bacteria, you can target that harmful organism simultaneously along with the candida. This way you get a full eradication of all these bad organisms and your friendly bacteria is then free to repopulate. So this is where the proper testing would come in. Without this uh, proper testing, you're there taking guesses. Next reason why candida treatments will fail is the lack of taking the correct diet. We're going to just touch on this briefly because, as I said, in the future, we're going to dedicate an entire podcast strictly to the candida diet. In fact, we could probably dedicate many to the candida diet. There's so much confusion regarding it. But bottom line is, is if you feed candida while you're trying to kill it, you're just helping it to come, come back and grow. It would be as though two armies are sending each other supplies, two opposing armies, let's say. In order for candida to be eliminated, you must follow a candida diet because the candida diet makes the candida more amenable to being eliminated by your medicines. If you take the medicines while following the candida diet, as you go through die-off, the die-off will eventually lessen and it will flatten off and you will emerge at the other end with much lower levels of candida. If you take the medicines and do not follow the candida diet, you will perpetually create die-off. 
Because what will happen is you'll have an initial die-off from taking the medicines, but then as you eat the wrong foods and feed the candida, the candida will come back only to be killed again or eliminated again by those medicines. And every time you do this, you're going to experience die-off. This is what I mean by having perpetual die-off. Because you kill the candida, then you feed the candida, then you kill it and have die-off, and then you feed the candida, and then you kill it and have die-off, and you just keep doing this. And this, is the, this would be the, the biggest diet mistake someone could make, would be not following any semblance of a candida diet while taking their medicines to kill it. All right, next reason why candida treatments fail is not taking the correct doses of the medicines. This is something uh, which bears a lot of inspection on an individual case because it depends on the particular medicine the person's taking. But theoretically, we'll just take this generally across the board here. Now, the doctor tells you, I want you to take two capsules of this medicine three times a day. And what happens is you take one capsule twice a day. Well, you still may get an improvement. But the odds are is you're not getting the full result that the medicine has to offer. The doctor is not going to have his expectations met because you're not taking the dose that he recommended you to take. So you're going to come back to him, and he's going to say, well, how are you feeling? And you're going to say, well, I feel a little better, you know, some of my symptoms are better. He's going to test you. He's going to see the candidas maybe a little better, but not fully gone. And unless you explain to him that you didn't take the full dose, he's going to be there scratching his head wondering what's wrong. What's wrong is simple. You took only part of the treatment. If the doctor wanted you to take one capsule twice a day, and that was, that was going to be good enough to get rid of your candida, he would have told you that in the first place. Now, he didn't, so obviously that's not what he's expecting to happen. And this leads us to the next possible reason why candida treatments fail, and that's because you're being your own doctor. You're saying, well, he told me to take two capsules three times a day. I think I'll just take one capsule twice and see how it goes. When you're being your own doctor, there will be lots of problems, particularly if you try to interpret your own test results. If you, if you don't have experience with the test, treating your, interpreting your own test result could give you much the wrong impression. There have been uh, many sayings over the years about the doctor who has himself as a patient has a fool for a patient. You know, there are different sayings like this. But this is particularly true because you can't uh, expect a patient to have the experience and the knowledge of the doctor who's treating him. And it's particularly experience. Uh, many people will cancel and miss their appointments because their interpretation of what's happening is different than what the doctor expects. We've had people over the years on my treatment who are on phase one. Phase one is the phase which will eliminate probably 70% of their candida constantly calling and canceling and rescheduling their appointment. And when we find, when we investigate, we find out the reason why they're doing this is because all their symptoms aren't gone. And they're under the mistaken uh, assumption that when, by the time they finish this phase, all their symptoms are gone and all the candida should be gone. Well, that's just not true. Uh, 
We're expecting the first phase to handle 70% of the candida, not in the entirety. If it was the entirety it was handling, there would be only one phase instead of four to the treatment. So in being a person's own doctor, the person is going to come up with their own ideas and their own wrong-headed interpretation, and it's going to stop them from succeeding because A, they're not going to know proper interpretation of their tests. They're not, they may not know proper interpretation of their own responses or symptoms. This is very true with die-off and Herxheimer reactions. People take the medicines and they tend to feel worse. Well, why do they do that? Well, they're having a die-off. What is a die-off? What is a Herxheimer reaction? It is essentially an allergic reaction you're having to the dead candida being generated in your system from the medicine you're taking. So you take the antifungal that makes you feel sick. You interpret that as the antifungal is bad for you, therefore you stop it. You're not understanding that the reason you're feeling sick is because you're having a die-off and it's actually an allergic reaction to the dead candida that's being created by the medicine that you're taking. This is wrong-headed, and this is where being your own doctor will definitely cause you to fail. Next reason we'll talk about why candida treatments fail, it'd be having leaky gut and not knowing it. Now, when someone has leaky gut, they're, besides having a whole plethora of allergic reactions that are going to take place, their immune system is going to be compromised in the gut. This makes it harder for the medicines to help out your own immune system in getting rid of the candida. It perpetuates allergic reactions in your intestinal tract, which will continue to aggravate candida. And it will essentially stop your treatment from moving forward. A lot of the symptoms of candida and leaky gut overlap. They're very similar. So it's difficult to tell if you have leaky gut without actually testing for it. Now, I'll repeat my favorite story again, as we get many people who come to us who tell me that they've been treating their leaky gut for years and it's never gotten better. And my question always is, well, have you tested for leaky gut? And their answer is usually no. And then when we test them, in many cases, we find out they don't have leaky gut. They've been treating themselves for 10 years for something they didn't have based on symptoms they read on the internet. And that's a, that's a great way to really wreck your day right there. All right, next reason why candida treatments fail. The person may have toxic metals and not know about it or what to do about it. Now, toxic metals are a very interesting situation. When someone has toxic metals, these toxic metals can aggravate a candida condition and it can actually slow down your process. Uh, there are some particular metals that are more sensitive to candida than others. Mercury and arsenic tend to deplete the immune response against candida. Aluminum in the intestinal tract will cause the pH of the intestinal tract to be too alkaline which will interfere with the elimination of candida. And copper and iron, in particular, also depress the immune response, but copper and iron also act somewhat as nutrients for the candida. These toxic metals are very typical in candida patients, especially patients who've had chronic candida. They cause many other illnesses aside from candida, 
and they're very often overlooked in clinical practices. You can easily do a Google search to see if whatever your ailment is, is connected to a toxic metal. If you go on Google and you search, let's say rheumatoid arthritis and iron, you'll, you may find, you'll come up with some references that show that a certain percentage of people with rheumatoid arthritis have iron toxicity, and that's the reason why they have it in the first place, as opposed to it being a mystery. Many people with rheumatoid arthritis, though, are going to be found to have candida and leaky gut. This is very common. The next reason why candida treatments fail is hormonal. It's because the person is either taking hormone medication in excess and imbalancing themselves, or it could be due to the fact that they have a hormone deficiency and don't know it, which is contributing to the candida problem. Uh, hormones like progesterone and estrogen can flare candida up, but there are also references that show that women will be more susceptible to vaginal yeast symptoms if they're deficient in progesterone and estrogen. Cortisol, which is the stress hormone, also will flare candida up. The reason why that occurs, similar to estrogen, estrogen and cortisol both essentially force feed glucose or sugar into the candida cells, which then make the candida spread and make it more active. One of the final reasons that candida treatments will fail is in a way one of the more obvious ones that people overlook. And that reason is constipation. Constipation is a very overlooked problem. The United States probably need, leads the world in colon cancer and we lead the world in fewer bowel movements than other countries. Years ago, when the fiber boom occurred, and everyone started talking about fiber, and fiber became very popular, it was precipitated by a group of doctors from Great Britain who wrote for the British medical journal Lancet, going to Africa to study the primitive tribal people there because they had heard that these people never had a case of colon cancer. Sure enough, when they got there, there were no recorded cases of colon cancer, very few recorded cases of any cancer, and an absence of chronic degenerative disease like we have in this country, an absence of diabetes, an absence of arthritis, etc. One of the things they found that all these people had in common is they ate an extremely high-fiber diet. They moved their bowels four to five times a day. And this is not diarrhea. These were perfectly normal, practically odorless stools that these people passed. When they examined the amount of fiber that these people were consuming, they found that on an average they consumed 24 grams of crude fiber per day compared to 4 to 6 grams of the typical uh, Englishman or American. In America, the person moves their bowels once a week and the doctor, the dummy, tells them, well, that's normal for you. That's fine. Uh, what the... What the doctor and the patient are failing to understand is that they're turning their intestinal tract into a cesspool. Now, let me offer you this. If you were to have your garbage, let's say your garbage pail, and it was next to your, on the side of your house, like, which typically they are, would you want to leave your garbage pail full 
for the entire week and just let it sit there? Or would you prefer to empty it out several times a week, at least? A garbage pail is really no different than the environment in your intestinal tract. It is moist, it is dark, and particularly in the summer months, it will be warm and it's filled with different food matter which putrefies and breaks down and draws bacteria and parasites to it. So while a person would think twice of leaving their garbage there for a week, they don't think twice of the fact that they will go a week without a bowel movement. People who are constipated like this, who move their bowels, I'm gonna, I'll go as far as saying, a person who moves their bowels less than once per day very often has candida, very often has a lot of digestive problems that are brewing if they don't even know it, and they are totally headed for dysbiosis because when your bowels are moving that slowly, your friendly bacteria dies. When your bowels move more quickly, the friendly bacteria has a better chance of regenerating itself. One of the greatest myths that exists in the treatment of candida is that one should become as alkaline as possible. Well, I hate to burst this bubble, and you can, uh, as Casey Stengel would say, you can look this one up. Candida likes an alkaline environment. Acidity is what kills candida or inhibits its growth. You can look that up in a book, and you can also take a minute to look at it from a common sense standpoint. The word acidophilus is what's used to describe the most common strain of friendly bacteria in the intestinal tract. Acidophilus is one of the key strains of flora which prevents candida growth. Note the word contains the word acid, acidophilus. The reason why it's contained is because the acidophilus bacteria secrete certain acids, and they do that deliberately to prevent the pH of your intestinal tract from rising too high. If the pH of your intestinal tract goes above 7.4, this is too alkaline, and this is where candida will start to develop. The ideal pH for the intestinal tract is probably somewhere between 6.6 and 6.8, arguably stretch it to 7. A crash course in microbiology for the intestinal tract would go that if you had constipation, the odds are the organisms in your intestinal tract are alkaline-loving, candida being one of the first ones. If you have diarrhea chronically, the organisms in your intestinal tract are acid-loving. These organisms that create diarrhea also release excessive acids and excessive toxins, which cause diarrhea because the body's drawing water into the colon as a way of diluting the toxins being made and trying to excrete them. So acid would go with hyperactivity of the colon. Alkalinity goes with sluggish activity of the colon. So keep this in mind that you cannot cure someone of candida if they're constipated. It is virtually impossible. Very often we recommend people with chronic candida go on colon cleanses, go on uh, colonic treatments, or etc. So we want to get their bowels optimally moving three to four times a day. Three to four bowel movements a day 
is ideal in getting rid of candida because that the pH of the intestinal tract just automatically jumps right where it's supposed to be. The next, and I think the final item that we'll take up today, are genetic factors. This is the probably most disappointing aspect of treating candida, is that if the genetics are against you, it is difficult, and it's, it's not that something you can change easily at all. It's not as though you can then start taking the correct dose the doctor gave you. It's not as though you're then going to start drinking more water and doing things to increase your bowel movements. Because you're born with the genes you're born with, and that's pretty much the end of the game. There are certain genetic SNPs which predispose people to candida. Um, there are a handful of them. We're going to talk about just one of them today. That if you have this SNP, you're more prone to candida and more prone to candida relapse. If you ever on your own or with a doctor do genetic testing, ask them to test you for a SNP named MMP-1. MMP-1 is the genetic error that I have found in all my years of researching candida, which is probably the worst to have in a candida patient. The MMP-1 SNP is known for making the person four times more susceptible to lung cancer, whether he smokes or not. It causes skin cancer, it's different skin ailments. The person with this genetic SNP is more prone to psoriasis and eczema and things like this. But it is foremost a collagen error. And as a collagen error, it causes a certain defect in the intestinal collagen, which makes it easier for candida to thrive. There's not a lot of research on this. Um, I can only tell you from experience and observing it that the most chronic cases of candida I've ever treated, the people who relapse the most, are the people who have this SNP MMP-1. There are other SNPs involved with this uh, as well, uh, SNPs which deal with inability to detoxify correctly and whatnot, some of the same genetic errors that you find in children with autism who have detoxification problems. But generally speaking, as far as the candida situation goes, the MMP SNP, MMP-1 is, is, is the SNP you're interested in finding out if you have. If you have it, not all is lost because you can still treat and manage your candida. The situation there is you, it's very difficult to then totally ever get off the candida diet. You, so you're always managing the candida. When, if you're a patient who has this MMP-1 SNP, you move from the situation of eligibility of clearing your candida, being cured of your candida permanently. Instead, you now move into the category of someone who then needs to manage the candida for the rest of their life. And that's a disappointing situation to be in, but it does occur. Uh, my estimate would be that this, this SNP occurs in probably one out of 10 people, but don't, don't take me on that one precisely. I don't, I'm not an expert in the, in the statistics on those genetics. A company like 23andMe that does a very good genetic testing would be most likely a better source on the statistic of that. Well, folks, that's going to be the end of the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the information. You can find most of this information in the articles on Candida, particularly the articles that 
talk about why candida patients relapse and why treatments fail, which are on the website at health-truth.com. And I look forward to speaking and having you join me again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. for the next of the podcasts. Thank you. Diamante, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com. That's health-truth.com or phone his office at 212-587-2330. Welcome to the Can.